0: Well, hey everyone, this is Athena, and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good, because He is faithful and good. Every Wednesday I'll be chatting with a friend who I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who'll not only share a personal Romans 8:28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month will have an additional interview with a well-known author, and the other two episodes will include a time for insider insights where I'll answer publishing questions from our listeners. So hey, Let's get started. Welcome to the All Things Podcast. I am here today with Redemption Press author Alisa Gallios, who you are going to be amazed to meet. Let me just say, buckle up, buttercup. This is going to be a wild ride. And This is also one of those weeks where we share writing and publishing insider insights during the second half, so let's just go ahead and get started. I'm going to introduce Elisa first. Uh, Elisa Gallios is a writer, speaker, social media influencer, and coach. She is the Redemption Press author of Made for Brave, A Journey Through Devastating Loss to Infinite Hope. She's also the founder of the Made for Brave movement and CEO of the Made for Brave company. She is known for helping countless people create better lives through faith, family, and fitness. Her life story has been featured on sites like Yahoo News, Christian Post, Fox News, HuffPost, and Viralized. Alisa and her husband, Jay, run their business out of their home north of Seattle, where they happily raise their daughters. Alisa, welcome to the All Things podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here.
0: Amen. It's I I just been waiting for this day, <laughs> and uh, wow! Since the focus of our podcast is Romans eight twenty eight, where it says, "And we know that God works all things together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes," and since your book is your story of God doing just that. We're going to just dive right in and just tell us your story.
1: Sounds good. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, I could talk forever about this because I wrote an entire book about it. So um, (laughs) if I summed it up, though, you know, as quick as I could, I would you know, just say that I, I lost my, my husband, my first husband, um, to cancer when I was 26 years old. So he was 27. Um, we had a nine month old little girl, um, and he was the love of my life. He meant everything to me. Um, and he had incredible, incredible faith. And I shared shared my faith with him. I was very, um, very excited about, you know, God curing him of his cancer and him getting better. And when that went, um, completely sour and, uh, you know, Nick passed away, um, I really had to take a step back and, um, figure out what I believed, um, what I believed and if what I believed, I guess was true. And so I started down this journey and this path to really discover, um, who my creator was, who God was at, at his core and eventually became closer to him to a point where even through such, such a tragedy, um, I've been able to look back and see that he's turned it into something good, which is a closer relationship to him. And since that day of really giving my life back over to Christ. Um, He's taken everything in my life and flipped it completely on its head and turned all of the mourning into dancing and all of the ashes into beauty. And I can't, um, I, I can't ever stop talking about it, which is why I wrote a book about it.
0: Well, okay. So we went pretty quick over you lost your husband And then you got, you know, question your faith and you got back to God. Mm -hmm. There were some times in there where you were shaking your fist at God and pretty angry. Tell us about that process because so often we don't give ourselves permission to really express how we feel to God and he, he can handle it. But tell us a little bit about that part.
1: Yeah. I mean, so when, um, when Nick passed away, my to kind of, I guess, rewind even a little bit prior to that, my entire life, I'd always done the right thing. I, I was raised in the church. I followed all the rules. I was a straight A student. Um, I met, you know, an incredible Christian man, married an incredible Christian man. We did kind of everything um, that you're quote unquote supposed to do um i had an, a great career my husband had a great career we bought a house we got pregnant um had a baby all those things and um i i really thought that if you did everything you're supposed to do then in a way i think i thought god kind of owed me something right um so when everything uh turned out to be you know really what was my worst nightmare. I became a widowed single mom at 26 years old with a nine month old baby girl who really needed a dad. Right. I, I couldn't fathom how something so horrible could happen. um, if, if God really loved us. Right. So I started asking those questions and I really, I ended up asking all the way down to, um, you know, does God even exist? And that was a pretty quick quick answer for me to, to kind of figure that one out. So I knew he existed, but I couldn't really rectify how do these hard and horrible things happen? Not just me losing my husband, but you know, all the things that go on in the world, there are so many hard things and dark things and scary things. And how can all of those things happen if there's a, a God who's all powerful and also loves us more than we could ever imagine? So, um, you know, figuring all of that out was definitely a long process. Um, during that time, I did so much study and so much research and just tried to figure out, um, what was true, not just what my parents had taught me or what the church had taught me necessarily. Um, but really boiling it down to what, what is true? Who is God? Um, what what does all of this mean and during that process there were so many ups and downs and like you said um you know those downs got got really really deep um i faced what i really think can be some of the deepest grief that a person can face um i lost someone that i had planned on spending 50 plus years with and we got married young enough that we could have done that and um and i lost him five years later and it was um it was horribly painful so um Knowing even his his faith and his personality, Nick was uh, one of and is, I believe still, right? But one of the uh, brightest people I have ever met, not just in terms of his intelligence, but in terms of his personality. He brought so much light and love into the world and his faith was greater um, than any I've really, really seen. Even through all of his pain and his um, diagnosis, he... Uh, he still believed and trusted in a God who was full of love. And he actually made a YouTube video about that um, as well. And that ended up going viral after he passed away. And for me to rectify, you know, this, this young man who had done so much for God and brought so many people to faith and brought so many people love. Um, and yet he still passed away and he didn't get to do the one thing he always wanted to do, which he wanted to be a dad. Mm. and. I I couldn't figure that out. So um, to say I was mad at God, I think is probably a bit of an understatement. I was enraged. I was so, so angry. Um, but what's so incredible is like you said, he can absolutely handle that. I believe he can handle our questions. Um, and really, I think he welcomes them because if I hadn't gone through really, um, getting, you know, down and dirty with those horrible questions, right. But really, really going through it with him and having that discussion and, um, Letting him love me through it, I don't know how I would have come out the other side. Mm-hmm. I think burying those questions does so much more harm um, than good. And if you really present those to him, he is so big. And so it's, it's. I don't want to say easy, but I think it's it's kind of easy for him to be able to handle those as long as we continue to lean in.
0: And being honest about it, it's it's almost like we think, especially if we've, you know, been a believer for any length of time, Um, there's some sort of shame around being angry, asking, you know, asking hard questions, feeling like God has let us down and disappointed us. And, you know, so to be honest about that and be transparent, and I mean, he knows it anyway, but it's like we have to voice it. Mm -hmm. We have to go through that critical thinking and process of you know how could you? You could have healed him in a second, you could have right. done all you know, you could have let him be a dad, and you could have, you know, the all the you could have, yeah. And then, you know, getting to a place of surrendering that and really finding that peace, yeah, which yeah, is what think, happened with you,
1: exactly. Yeah, and I think a lot of people, um, they think that doubt will be destructive in their relationship with God, but I, I really think that. Um, doubt actually opens up an opportunity, and again, what you know, what the devil meant for evil, <laughs> can turn exactly. right around, and and it can become even that doubt can become something that really um, fortifies your relationship with God. And just like you said, as long as you're being honest, and as long as you're um, continuing to try to to have that conversation with them, so.
0: And it really does that doubt. That's that's really a good point to bring up. I feel like in the church we're, you know, kind of tisk tisk. You shouldn't doubt God, you know, and almost that that shame thing. When that is the thing that can drive us to Him, Mm -hmm. if we allow it, instead of doubting and getting bitter and isolating and getting, you know, getting away from being around the people who love us and walk with us through our struggles. Mm -hmm. then that which is exactly what the enemy wants is for us to isolate and doubt and buy into that doubt right when really when when you allow it to to do its work and you surrender that doubt to him he can use that in such incredible ways
1: absolutely yep i totally agree
0: so tell us walk us through um when you kind of got through your years of question because it was a couple year period right where yeah. you were struggling and questioning yeah. and running and yeah so unpack that kind of turning point for you
1: yeah um so it's funny cuz you say running and yeah i ran all the way from washington to florida at one point <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um so that that was good but you know um i, I when it, my turning point really it it did come in florida so um I had moved down to Pensacola, which is a little kind of like an army town, um, on the Gulf of Mexico. It was, um, incredible cost of living down there, um, which was great. Um, but mm-hmm. it was, uh, a really difficult time for me, of course, because I really did isolate myself, obviously, from my friends and family. Everyone, um, I knew was pretty much back here on the West coast, um, mainly in the Seattle area. And I didn't really know anybody down there. And so, um, What's so interesting is I really, again, even though I think that it was a big part of uh, that move was me just trying to get away from all the hurt here, all of the grief triggers, all of those things that I thought I could get away from, which FYI, you cannot run away from those things, unfortunately. You Um, can't (laughs) run
0: away from you. You You take you with you,
1: you take you with you wherever you go. So (laughs) I tried, um, but God used that even my running, right. He Mm. used that and, and my fear, um, to again, turn it into something good. And, um, because I believe of that isolation that I didn't really have, um, a lot of people to spend time with necessarily. And I had to, you know, work really hard to gain, uh, new friendships and things. Um, I spent a lot of time, um, you know, just being able, uh, to really pray and read and meditate and think on, um, again, on who God is and try to, um, piece those things together. So I read, um, stacks and stacks of books. Um, I actually listed a couple of those books in my book too, because I think that there are quite a few that were very helpful, Mm -hmm. um, in my journey. I spent a lot of time in scripture. Um, and it, it basically, one day, I I kind of woke up and I just knew that it was it was time to um, to make a big shift in my life. And I don't want to give away all the details. There was um, kind of a specific, you know, moment um, of me just realizing that I had reached rock bottom um, mm-hmm. and that it was going to be my choice. That I knew God was there. That I knew He could. At least he told me. Let let me just rephrase that. He told me he could turn good out of my situation, kind of through my readings. Right? I was just Mm. reading these stories of Ruth and reading these stories of um, even other uh, people just in the world who have had God and they've claimed that God has taken these horrible things in their life and and they turn them into good. And I kind of challenged him. I kind of dared him, um, which I don't (laughs) recommend. But I kind of said like, I'd like to see you try because my situation felt so much worse than anyone else's to me, right? Mm. Um it felt like something that he he would never be able to turn it around. Um and but I decided, you know what, I'm gonna let you take it and let you try, but I'd like to see you try kind of thing. So um but I did. I really started handing my life over to him. I handed my future over to him, my daughter's future, um which at that point, you know, she was two and a half, almost three, and um and that was hard, right? Cause she um, you know how, how you're a mom. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to hand that over, but I was able to do that. And, um, I felt a very clear call to, to come back to Seattle. And, um, in doing so, you know, I moved, I moved back to Seattle. I was able to actually rent a house in Green Lake, um, for my daughter and I, which is a, a great neighborhood in Seattle. And there's, there's a whole story behind that too. That was totally a God thing. Um, but he started just shifting, um, my heart toward him in so many ways. And eventually, um, it was so crazy to see, but really, uh, the rest of my life kind of followed suit. And it it all started, though, with my heart.
0: Yes. And and that's really where it has to start. Yeah. And it's such, I mean, it's such a beautiful example of Romans 8.28. I mean, (laughs) wow.
1: It really is. Yeah. And um, when I moved back to the Seattle area, uh, God really brought up even just a few months later, it's, it's still crazy to think, but he brought, um, someone kind of back into my life. And that is, a again, another miracle in and of itself. Yeah. Um, but, and I actually, I met w- who would become later my uh, second husband. So, um, I don't, I still, it still blows my mind to this day that I was able to find another incredible, incredible love and that God, um, was even able to redeem that part of my life that I didn't Mm. expect nor even think that I, I wanted to have redeemed, um, in that way. So, um, it's, it's a crazy story to see, um, where we were then. And, um, Kind of where i started all of this with you know at 20 years old this kind of journey to figure out who god is and here now at um 32 and you know now a mom of three little girls and um just really figuring out still you know life after loss and love after loss but seeing how beautifully that those can um come together and and the depth really that god's given me in my relationship with him I cannot even believe that I can say this and, and mean it 100%, but every single heartache and tear and horrible, horrible night and thing that I faced and having to, you know, bury my first love, Mm -hmm. it was all worth the depth of relationship that I have with Jesus now. And, and that, I mean, that honestly, that blows my mind. If I heard that Old mm-hmm. man, I would think that I was a nutball. So
0: <laughs> <laughs> I totally, I totally feel you because I've I've said the same thing. You know, twelve years of spiritual abuse. I would do it again. Yes. You know, I mean, it was worth all of that pain to have to be the have the relationship and the intimacy with Jesus that I have now that I did not have before. Right, and yep. it is, sounds crazy, but it's right. it's so true. So now let's just take maybe 3 or 4 minutes and cuz i know your story of doing like you thought you were going to write the book and then god said no wait and then you know, tell us how that all worked with you getting to a place where you knew you were supposed to write your story
1: yeah so it's so interesting because if you um if you rewind to, um Elisa when she was five years old <laughs> um, I honestly at, at around five years old um, was when I started telling my family that one day I wanted to write books so i've I've always been obsessed uh, with reading I've always loved reading I've always loved books um, since I was a little girl and it's so interesting because I remember even in my early 20s um, right after I had married Nick and um, you know he was a fully healthy individual there was no sign of any Thing. Um, cancer doesn't even run in his family. So his cancer was a total freak cancer. So at the time, um, you know, I was newly married. Um, I was young. I was excited about life. I was in the honeymoon stage and, and I kept wondering, I'm like, you know, my life is kind of, I'm settling down. So, so God, what am I supposed to write my book about? And I, I kept feeling this, this, um, this idea that one day I would know one day I would know what I was supposed to write about. Right. But I was so anxious. Like I kind of wanted to know, but I just, I pushed it to the side because I I didn't know what I was supposed to write about. Um, fast forward, um, to, uh, it was after Nick passed away, but, um, before the, uh, idea of like, this is the book you're supposed to write. This is the story you're going to be writing. happened, but even before before he got sick, or right when he got sick, really, I um, started a blog to keep, you know family and friends updated. so I was practicing so, so much in my writing practice. I feel like I'm butchering the sentence. You know what I mean? I was writing a lot, um, throughout his illness and he was sick for, um, a total, it was off and on, um, but for two and a half years. So, um, there was all of that. And then, um, after he passed, so fast forward after he passed, I felt like I knew that I was supposed to write a book that had something to do with the journey I had been on with him. Um, and I didn't know exactly what, what it was going to be in there. Um, but I knew that that was going to be my, my first book that was going to be my first book. And I was so excited to start moving on it. Um, because I knew it, it's so interesting, um, to say, cause I know again, some people might, might, think I'm crazy, but, um, it's like, I knew that there was, there was a big, a bigger story behind what I was seeing. I already knew that. I Mm -hmm. knew that God had a bigger plan for what I was going through, especially once I hit, um, the place of really, you know, being in tune with him. Right. So it was kind of after that, that spiritual journey of figuring out who he was and getting closer to him. It was like, I knew that there was a, there was a big story there. Um, and at first I, I tried, uh, really hard. <laughs> I tried really hard to write the book, um, a couple times and it felt like I was forcing it. Um, I would sit at my desk, you know, for hours and it was, it was like every word, was crawling out of me it took forever it was like pulling teeth to get you know even a chapter finished um and eventually after i think seven or eight months of that um i threw my hands in the air and i basically said you know what like i'm i'm done this doesn't it's not flowing it doesn't feel like this is what like what i'm supposed to be doing i know this is supposed to be the book that i i'm writing but -hmm. there's something there's something that it's not, it's not connecting. Right. So I told God again, I did the same thing. And I said, I basically gave it to him. I didn't dare him this time, but I just said, God, you know what? You take this process, your timing, not mine. And I forgot about it really for, for about a year. Um, I just didn't, I didn't think of it. I didn't force it. I didn't try to write, um, for anything other than like, I've always blogged. I've also, I've always written a ton on social media, things like that, but I, I didn't work on the book for about a year. Um, so fast forward to a year later, uh, my second husband Jay and I had uh, gone through a miscarriage. We'd uh, you know gotten married, gone through a miscarriage, um, and then were newly pregnant with our uh, with our second daughter. So he did he adopted Austin um, Nick and I's daughter, mm-hmm. so my first, and um, we were newly pregnant with our second daughter, um, and then uh, I I still wasn't really thinking about the book you know fast forward uh, during that time too i had uh created a business that now um my husband and i were starting to run together um i had uh done writing contracts before so i dropped some of my writing contracts and i was just working on launching a new business so i was incredibly busy um you get I got to about six and a half months pregnant. Um, our business is taking off. I'm chasing a crazy, you know, almost what, let's see, four, four and a half year old toddler mm-hmm. all around the house. <laughs> and, and then I'm, you know, getting so big that I'm, you know, bumping into things with my stomach. I'm uncomfortable. I'm not sleeping well, all these things. And I'm in church service one day and I'm worshiping and I'm just telling God, that he, again, he has my life. He has this baby that, you know, it's easy to worry about your babies when you've had miscarriages. And I had had two up to this point. Um, and, and I'm just handing everything over. I'm not thinking at all about the book. I'm, I'm just handing over the business, my baby, my new marriage, my, my life. And all of a sudden I heard it's time and two words, those were it, but I knew exactly what he was talking about. And I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. And I sat down at the computer, um, that Monday. So that was on a Sunday and I started writing and the entire first draft of the book that we now have, Mm. um, it it all came out before my daughter was born. So in about three months, um, yeah, which is crazy. (laughs) His timing, his timing. That was the trip
0: Yep. Yep. Wow. I, I just love that. Okay. So we're going to Transition to kind of a wrap up, but I I want to ask you um, for our listening audience. Give us a couple of tips or tools, just from your experience in this Romans eight twenty eight journey that you've been on. Just a couple things that will help them remember that He is there's a purpose for our pain, and He's work, He's working good but even when you can't see it.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, one thing that I, I always try to remind myself when I'm working um, towards a goal or I'm working um, to get closer to him or really just anything in my life, right. Working on a relationship with one of my kids or with my, uh, a family member um, is I really think often as human beings, we love to to make it a one or the other thing we we say either we're like okay we're handing this to god and we're not going to do we're not going to do anything to further it along ourselves because it's up to god so it's kind of like you know somebody who might be like well i really need a job um but it's up to god so i'm not going to apply anywhere but the job is just going to fall in my lap right? <laughs> right um or we go the other way and we work really hard and we're applying for a million jobs and we're doing all of the things ourselves and we don't we don't ever really allow god Um, to work Mm -hmm. through the situation. So one thing that's always um, helped me that I've really um, kept at the forefront of my mind, not just for my book, but really just in life, is to always work as if it's completely up to you and pray as if it's completely up to God. Mm -hmm. Because I really do think that he needs us to partner with him in order to create good out of bad. God can create good out of anything, and if He could create good out of the kind of tragedy that I went through, He can create good out of literally anything. If He could, if He could take how low I was and bring me to where I am now, He can take anyone from where they are and bring them, bring them closer to Him. Um, but we have to partner with Him in order for that to happen. We have to allow it, and we have to, we have to really encourage it and ask him to come in and make those changes and ask him to work on our behalf um, ask him to shift the the hard stuff into something that's that's a little bit easier um, and then the only other bit of advice that that i really think is important is just to remember that that life is really a journey. And I know that's hard, especially, um, I feel like the the younger you are, (laughs) the harder it is. And you kind of learn this as you get older, but really just that, that everything that's worth going after, um, takes time, right? Mm. Um, good things take time and great things take longer. So it's a slow process and you just have to keep going. It's a one step at a time, one day at a time kind of process when you're working toward um, big goals or big dreams or writing a book or or anything like that. You have to remember that that it's it's just a one step at a time thing.
0: I love that. And you know, there is always, God is always working even when we can't see him and always. even when we don't feel it and yeah. just keeping that kind of marathon instead of the sprint mentality Mm -hmm. is so important because otherwise we get discouraged. You know, we want the quick fix. We want to have everything overnight. Everything's, you know, fixed. And we don't get refined that way. We really don't. So true. Okay. So if our listeners want to connect with you and find you online, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Um, So I am uh, pretty active on Facebook and on Instagram, but I'm definitely, I'm most present on Instagram. So um, either one, you can find me just uh, my name. So at Elisa Gallios, and Elisa is spelled A-L-Y-S-S-A, and then Gallios is G-A-L-I-O-S. So just at Elisa Gallios at either of those.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy mommy schedule to be with us today and to share your story. And it's just, I I can't tell you how many people come into our Romans 828 bookstore here, buy your book, and come back to I had someone yesterday saying, This was so good. And just, you know, hearing the lives that you're impacting through that great pain, but great redemption.
1: Oh, God is so good.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you, my friend.
1: Thank you.
0: Do you feel God nudging you to write? Have you dreamed about getting away for a few days to bring clarity, focus, and dedicated time to write? If there was space in your calendar to connect with other writers who are just like you, would you be ready to take a leap of faith to seriously commit to your dream? Well, we still have a few spots left for the She Writes for Him writing retreat. This is a small, intensive, hands-on retreat for 12 women to come away from their busy lives and write in a uniquely creative, private, rural setting. And most importantly, to leave with a master plan to finish that writing project. Dates for our first She Writes for Him retreat are April 29th to May 2nd, right here in the hometown of Redemption Press, just 45 minutes from the SeaTac Airport, We'd love to have you join us. Visit SheWritesForHim.com. Welcome to another Insider Insights segment of the All Things Podcast, where we answer questions from our listeners about writing and publishing. If you'd like to ask a question, download the Anchor app on your phone and then search for the All Things Podcast you'll see a message button where you can click and record your question and then we'll play your question on the next Insider Insights segment and give an answer. So here we go. All right, we're going to kick off the second half of the show today with our publishing Insider Insights segment. And today, all of our questions surround the topic of editing. So, you know, so often I have authors ask me, so what are all the different types of editing? Because, you know, you throw the editing word around out there. And if someone hasn't been to a writer's conference or they, they haven't really studied the craft at all, they might not know that there are different types of editing and we need to make sure that we're getting the type of editing that we actually need. So I am not going to talk, I'm going to start from big picture down to, uh, you know, the minutiae type of editing, very very specific in detail and dotting I's and crossing T's. But on the bigger picture, I'm not going to address ghostwriting. I think we can do that in another segment. So we're going to talk, we're going to start with a cooperative rewrite. And and I'm going to kind of go through the definition of each one of these types of editing, because it's important for us to understand what these types of editing encompass and what they look like. Now, a cooperative rewrite is where the editor uses their gifts to make your story the best it can be. And defined, a cooperative rewrite is an editorial program that calls for the editor to be heavily involved in reshaping and rewriting the book's content and form. The editor basically does a quick read of the project and then consults with the author via like a Zoom video call or phone to determine the author's goals for the book. And depending on what the project requires, the editor then assists with organizing the material around the stated theme and desired outcome, working with the author to add to or remove content And then structure the composition, technical, and style elements effectively. Once the manuscript weaknesses are identified, the author provides any new content or needed research. So an editor doing a cooperative rewrite is not going to go out and do research for you and interview you necessarily and write a bunch of new content. The author is responsible for that. But then the editor may also suggest the development of new material as needed, and the author and editor then work together using a combination of content and substantive editing with strong editorial participation in the rewriting to restructure and rewrite the material. So... This is where you're working with you as the author, are working with the editor, but they're using their skill to really make your story come alive. And so, a cooperative rewrite includes in it a substantive edit, or also known as a line edit. And by the time they're done with this process, it is ready. For a copy edit. So let me just say the cooperative rewrite is the big picture, uh, the development of your story where you've done the best you can do with your manuscript, but it still needs the work of a professional to make it the best it can be. That's a cooperative rewrite. Now, the next level of editing is called content coaching. And this is something that we at Redemption Press, we just I'm just a super huge fan of content coaching because that's what I needed with my first book because I didn't know what I was doing when I wrote it and I didn't have the skill or the training. And so I needed someone to help walk me through the rewrite that I needed to do to make it a better story. So this is where the editor coaches you to develop your story and rewrite it as needed. So, the content coach, who is a developmental editor, evaluates the completed manuscript with kind of a 10 foot overview as opposed to a line by line read and annotation. They pay careful attention to ensure that all the expected elements of a given genre have been presented in the book. And have been developed as strongly as necessary for a quality read. Comments are made in the margins and corrections in the body of the manuscript using track changes, which is a feature in Microsoft Word, so that the author can actually see the concerns raised and the strengths mentioned on the page. And At the end of that, going through the entire thing using track changes to make comments all the way through, the editor writes an encouraging summary letter which outlines their findings. And then they actually spend an hour with the author going over all of that information to make sure in that discussion all the issues that have been raised and possible solution strategies. Are offered in that coaching call to make sure the author knows exactly what they need to do to apply all of the recommendations in the manuscript so those two cooperative rewrite and content coaching are both very developmental in nature now the next type of editing is what we call line editing, some people call it substantive editing, but this is where after the content has been revised, the line editor goes through the manuscript page by page to improve the book's overall content and composition as well as technical and stylistic elements. So line editing includes minimal rewriting, they're not adding content, to focus or clarify ideas argumentation or plot it also provides chapter paragraph or sentence restructuring as needed for clarity concision and pacing the editor may also query the author if additional information is needed so the editor makes sure there is good order clear transitions as well as consistent tone and style so he or she also ensures that the text is suitable for the intended audience and checks for redundancies and overused words, phrases, removing or replacing them as necessary. Okay, so what those three types of editing, cooperative rewrite, content coaching, and line editing, those are all bigger picture, the type of editor that we utilize for those types of editing, they're in a class of their own. That is their sweet spot is being able to do that type of editing. Now I'm going to just quickly describe copy editing because that is a totally different type of editing and it requires a totally different skill set. So The editors that we utilize for cooperative rewrites and content coaching and line editing are not the same editors that we utilize for copy editing. So a copy editor seeks to correct spelling, punctuation, grammar, style, usage errors. They maintain internal consistency both in content and in formatting. They identify repetitions and awkward, unclear, or incomplete sentences. They identify ambiguous, incorrect, or maybe libelous statements. Make sure there's no breach of copyright or trademark infringements in the manuscript. They check scripture entries. Now, the author is responsible for double-checking the accuracy of quotes and sources before they sign off on the manuscript. But those are going to be things that the copy editor would be looking for. They're very detail-minded in what they're looking for. So basically, um, that's just a different animal. A copy edit is a totally different animal than a cooperative rewrite or content coaching, developmental editing, line editing. It's just it's just totally different. And when you're going to copy editing, we're assuming all of those other things have already been done. So I wanna just give you a couple of examples that we have had recently um, that have just come across my desk and um, boy, just emphasizes to me the importance of us understanding when we're talking about editing, what what does that mean and what does that encompass? Because we recently had an author who paid a Christian publisher to prepare her book for publication for their standard $3500 fee. And it turns out that they outsourced the editing, which basically consisted of someone in another country running it through Grammarly or some other, you know, computer grammar check application and you know when you think about it how can that author whose manuscript is maybe fifty thousand words pay the same thirty five hundred dollars that someone who has a hundred thousand words well, I think you know the answer that's a computerized edit that's just someone putting it through a program and having it pick out typos and you know different obvious things that a program would pick out but it's not a hu- it's not the human touch that is actually reading every word to make sure it actually makes sense or or that it's a good the right transition or it's the proper word to use in context because you couldn't do that for a flat fee that it doesn't even make sense here's another example that just broke My heart Um, last year at Mount Hermon at the Christian Writers Conference, we were there and we were talking to a guy. Actually, we were talking to him on the phone, he wasn't even at the conference. But I remember pacing around the under the cherry tree outside at Mount Hermon, hearing this guy who had a 125,000 word manuscript and telling me how he'd already spent eight thousand dollars to have his book edited and I had already sent the book, it was a novel, which is not my, you know, I am a nonfiction girl, I'm not a a novelist and so I never even try and look at that and figure out what is correct because I just know I won't know. So I sent it to my managing editor, she took a look at it and she just said, wow, this, manuscript, this novel has all sorts of issues that should have been dealt with in the developmental part of editing. It had all sorts of head hopping. And if you write fiction, I guess you know what that means. You know, your dialogue is coming from one viewpoint and then the next minute it's coming from another viewpoint. And then the next minute it's coming from another viewpoint. You're not supposed to do that. Uh, It had all sorts of pacing issues. It had all sorts of issues that a copy editor is not going to deal with. That's something that a content coach is going to deal with, or a cooperative rewriter is going to deal with, or even a line editor is going to flag it and say, hey, we got some problems here. But unfortunately, the person who took his $8,000 didn't bother to say, you know, this really needs a lot more than what you just paid for. So, you know, anyone can call themselves an editor, but not all editors are qualified. And I just think, you know, boy, it's, it's, you know, it's worth taking that extra time to do your homework and do your due diligence and make sure that that editor you know, look at some of the other books that they've edited, and look on Amazon and see what kind of uh, reviews they get, because that's going to say a lot for that editor. And honestly, in editing, you do get what you pay for, and uh, it is going to be based on your word count. You you can't, no one can give you a flat editing rate. It, and everyone pay that same amount for you to get quality actual quality editing that's not computerized. If a human's going to do it and they're trained and they're good at their craft it's going to be based on what the word count is or an hourly rate which you know again can be extrapolated into um, so much so many words per hour. So you know another question we get all the time is why can't a friend or a family member edit? My, my mom or my aunt is a former English teacher. Why can't they do my editing for me? And here's the problem with that. They know your story. They're going to read through it. They won't catch what you left out because if you left something out, their, their brain is automatically going to put it in. They're not going to notice that it's missing because that's how our brains work. And oftentimes, you know, they're not going to, they're going to be so amazed that you wrote a whole book that, you know, they're not going to be as constructively critical in a good way as someone who doesn't know you, who isn't your mom or, you know, a relative or a best friend. They're going to, they're going to want you, if someone has been tasked with giving you feedback that's honest and authentic and and professional feedback, they're going to tell you what you need to hear, not what just is going to make them feel good because they know you and you're going to be an author. So gosh, the whole editing thing, I, I'm telling you, if I had known today, if I had known 24 years ago when I wrote my first book what I know today I would have done it so differently but I didn't I didn't know what I didn't know and I went out there I just wrote my book like I was talking to you across the table and I had somebody do a copy edit and I put it into print never realizing that I needed I really needed someone to coach me through really writing it with utilizing fiction techniques, utilizing um, all sorts of skill writing skills that I didn't have. Show, don't tell. You know, active rather than passive writing. Those are things I didn't even know. I was a speaker, not a writer. I just wanted to write my story. So, you know, I'm a way better writer today than I was 25 years ago when I wrote that first book, and then, praise the Lord, had uh, my, one of my senior editors today, all those years ago, coached me through what we now call content coaching, and I had to rewrite that whole book. It went from 100 pages to 200 pages, but boy, Was it a much better book after that rewrite, after that coaching? And I am a much better writer for it. So that, I I just want to end with that. Um, Editing is such a big deal. And there are so many opportunities out there for you to just go Even at KDP, Amazon, you can just go upload your manuscript and not have anybody look at it before it gets published. That's not good. We all, I don't care how many books we've written, we all need good editors. We all need a second, third, fourth pair of eyes who are going to look at that and help us to make it the best that it can be, whether it's using our skill or using their skill. Don 't ever shortcut yourself on editing, and believe me if if you you know if it 's a flat rate for editing that's included in your publishing, boy, run away, run fast because that's just not it 's not going to be what you hoped it would be and I could tell you so many more stories about editing and answer so many more editing questions, but we are out of time. So we are going to wrap it up today and just say thank you so much for joining us on this podcast, and we will see you same time next week. Bye for now. So thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So, hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media, of course, only if you thought it was helpful. Or if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would really appreciate it as, you know, it'll help other people find the show and let them know it really is a good one to listen to. So thank you so much for listening today and I'll see you next week.